You're listening to a sermon from the series, Born This Day, an FFC Christmas series in Luke chapter 2. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. I brought something to show you, by the way. This is the uh, Christmas bell I told you about last week. Let me show you how dainty it is. This is the kind of ears my kids have. They can hear this all the way upstairs where they make their mad dash to the tree. Ready? It's pretty dainty, pretty tiny, but man, they're listening. I mean, they're like kneeling down, ears to the... We have a great time on Christmas. It's a lot of fun. So we'll ring this in a few hours, and they'll come crashing down. But I, I got bad news from last week. You know, I told you last week I don't like waiting... We're early risers. We jump to the tree. We love to celebrate and have a great time loving each other and talking about Christmas. And, but I have to wait now because i got these grandkids. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love them, okay? One's right back there, his first Christmas Eve service. Um, but, so they're coming over. But they're not coming over at 6 <laughs> and 7. I said, you're welcome. 5 is fine with me. <laughs> Bethany said, Dad, we don't wake a sleeping baby. I'm like, that's really good parenting. You're right. So I was told this week, honey, I think we're going to shoot for nine. That's like an eternity from five, okay? (laughs) So I think I'm going to take this bell, and around five or six, Brooke will hear it upstairs. I'm just going to keep ringing it. Maybe it'll ring out to southeast 10th, maybe over to 14th. I don't know. We'll see what happens, right? I hope you're having some good fun with your families and making some good stories and good memories. On behalf of Julie and myself and our family, I want to just tell you this as your pastor. I I love you guys. I hope you have a great Christmas, okay? Make a lot of good memories. Um, Celebrate Christ. Just enjoy one another. A lot of you have gone through some difficult times the last few weeks. This makes Christmas different for you. And so Julie and I, we're praying for you all as well. But I trust it will even be a way to maybe make a different, more special memory in in some way, okay? Okay. can I ask you to help me with a trivia question, though? I have a, have a question I want to ask all of you. Julie and I were out this morning, and we stopped by um, Chick-fil-A, and we were just kind of eating a biscuit and talking, and we were wondering why we don't do this at Christmas. I want to say a phrase to you. I want you to answer back to me what comes to your mind, assuming it's Christmas Eve appropriate, okay? You ready? He is born... Okay, there's a couple here that caught, yeah. We were talking this morning, like, I wonder why we say at Easter, he is risen, and you, you always say what? I mean, that's like a natural, it's like a Pavlovian response almost, you know? But we say he is born, very few thought, well, he is born indeed. I asked a guy at Chick-fil-A this morning, he goes here to church. He's embarrassed right now, he's worried, I'm going to call his name, aren't you, Jonathan? He's right back there. We were talking about over a biscuit, and I said, let's go ask Jonathan what he would say. So I walked up there. I said, hey, Jonathan, respond to this. He is born. He goes, yeah. (laughs) It was awesome. That's my theologian right there. I'm loving it, you know. I asked my son-in-law, my future son-in-law. He'll be in our family in a week. I said, hey, Greg, respond to this for me. This is about 2.30 before I left the house. He is born, and Greg said, who? (laughs) I think we should say this to that question. I think we should say, he is born, he is born this day. 
Because that's what Luke says, you know. Unto you is born, say it with me, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And all month long, we've been looking at the different titles given to this one born on this day, such as a Savior is born. Let me give you a quick review, can I? A Savior is born, meaning that God is for us. I'll show this on the screen behind me. You'll kind of follow along. This is kind of our series in a month in a, in a quick way. We knew that a baby was born. Luke said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Later on, he calls this Savior a baby. You'd find the baby in swaddling cloths. A baby born, meaning God was as us. We also know that Christ the Lord was born. God over us. He's king, the long-awaited anointed one. Tonight we're going to see in two parts what it means that Jesus was born. So if you ever wonder who was born this day, know for sure, a Savior, a baby, Christ the Lord and Jesus. All four of those titles and names are given in Luke chapter 2. I hope that as we've studied that this month, uh, that you've sensed some of the deeper meaning behind these words. So as you sing the carols, whether at home or whether here, you'll think about the deeper meanings behind the words Savior and baby and the title's Christ the Lord, the name Jesus, all right? We'll sing some tonight, in fact. And as we do, think through what we've talked about this month and including tonight. So what does it mean that Jesus, God with us, was born that day? Well, you know from Luke 2.21, here's where we find in this chapter, at least specifically in this chapter, when they called him Jesus. Look what the Bible says here. You can open yours if you want. It's Luke 2.21. The Word of God says this to us, that at the end of eight days, this is the concluding verse to our text all month long, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Notice that that's not when he was named Jesus. In fact, his parents didn't even name him. The angel, as a messenger of God, named him. So we were textually, theologically, scripturally right to say God named this one born in a manger. He named him Jesus. Angels are messengers. They do the bidding of their master. So an angel told Mary, you will call his name Jesus. And so at the end of eight days, that's what they did. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You see, names tell us a lot, don't they? And if that's even true in today's age, it was more so true in first century and even before that Old Testament time. Names meant your lineage, your legacy. It said a lot about who you were and what was expected of you, so to speak. So here this one born on this day, he was given the name Jesus. What does that tell us about his identity? I just want to share two things with you. First, in this simple next three or four minute part, we'll take a break, have communion. I'll come back and share a second aspect. Okay, but in this first part, I think the name Jesus, given by God the Father, clues us into his holy identity. Say those two words with me. Holy identity. You see, understand this, church. Jesus did not have an earthly biological father. He had an earthly relational father. His name was Joseph, correct? But Mary, his mother, was a virgin. Overshadowed is the word the Bible uses to speak how she was impregnated. Overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And then 
brought forth this one that was named Jesus. This is vitally important because in this virgin birth, Jesus bypasses the sin nature, that seed of man that taints us all. And in this very virgin birth, the one born, this human, this baby, is very God. And by the way, that was crucial and critical. What we refer to as the virgin birth and thus the incarnation, it was critical because if if the point of Jesus was to save his people from their sins, there's only one who can save, and that's God, right? So guess who had to come to us? God did. It couldn't just be a better version of you or me. It had to be God. And so, in the virgin birth, God gives himself in the second person of the Trinity, Christ, the long-awaited, appointed, anointed Messiah. He's born, and eight days after his birth, they call him Jesus. He has a holy identity. Which means that he was not worried too much about being about his earthly parents' business. Now hear that well, church. I did not say Jesus ever disobeyed, was rude, or that's not what I'm saying. But can I just be frank with you? The authority that Jesus was under was heavenly. It was the authority of God, his Father, who sent him. This is why as soon as Luke chapter 2 ends, now watch this, this is an interesting connection to me. They call him Jesus. It's, it's an indication of his holy identity. No earthly biological father. Uh, his mom's a virgin. So he's about something greater than just earthly affairs. What's he about? He's about his father's business. Who's his father? God. So at the very end of Luke 2, in the same vein of the Christmas story, they're at the temple. He's a little older now. The crowd leaves to go back home. There's no Jesus. Where's Jesus? He's back in the temple, um, confounding the religious leaders. His parents finally discover where he is. And they say, hey, why didn't you join us? Where have you been? What does he say? He said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And he wasn't speaking there of being a stone carpenter like Joseph. He wasn't saying, don't you know I've got to go hewn out some more rock and make a wheel or a tray or a cup or a plate? He's saying, don't you know, the reason I came was to save God's people from their sin. That's why I'm called Jesus. The Romanized kind of Greek version of Joshua. Everything about Jesus was that, man, this... This is the Holy One of God sent to save us. See, that is the Father's business. Saving people. And did you know that one day, at the end of time, when the Father sends the Son to return a second time, He gathers all of His people together. There'll be someone from every single nation, language, tribe, and tongue around the throne. He will do His job perfectly and save everyone God's people. He's a perfect Savior, isn't he? We're going to take some time and look at communion now because I want you to remember that when Jesus came, the one who was born that day, he came with holy identity. He was God with us. We'll look at the word us in a minute. 
But for now, just understand this. Undoubtedly, he was God. Born of a virgin, sent to save his people from their sins. And so as you go to the tables in a few moments, this is really the, the core meaning of Christmas. That God has sent himself to do what only he could do. Save people. Amen. Let's rejoice tonight that Emmanuel has come. Let's be thankful that we can say joy to the world. Let's remember that tonight, tomorrow morning, as we open gifts and share meals and laughter and tears and memories, that underneath all of that is this beautiful root reason that Christmas is celebrated. God has come to save us. Just a few more minutes talking about the one who was born this day. Let's practice, can we? He is born. Hey, quick learners, way to go. That's nice. Okay, good. Maybe we'll just keep doing that in about seven, eight hundred years. We'll kind of start a trend. What do you think about that, you know? We'll be known as really ancient then, right? There's another aspect to the name Jesus, God with us, the one who was born that day, that I want to bring to your attention as we wrap things up and before we go to our candlelight song. His name not only resonated with a holy identity, that being the, that, that Jesus was kind of the Romanized Greek understanding of Joshua, the virgin birth, signifying that this is the one who is to come, this is our Savior, he's from God, he is God. But that name was also quite common in that area. Did you know that? Most historians believe that there were probably many named Jesus. It would be as similar to someone in that culture being named John. It wasn't an uncommon name, nor was it one that was thought odd. It was a rather regular name in that sense. I think there's meaning to that in, in that, that even in the name Jesus, we understand that his human identity was one that resonated with the common person. He was God for sure. The virgin birth meant that this Jesus was God with us, but it was God with whom? Us. So he was fully one of the regular guys. He was 100% man, 100% God. Two natures in one. Theologically, we call that the hypostatic union. We affirm it and we stand on it. God and man together in one. But that is, and that does not diminish the fact that Christ was fully man. He was with us. He was a, a regular person in that sense. And that's one of the things that his name kind of connotes. That he wasn't some silver spoon type of person. He was just a common folk kind of guy. He lived in a common folk area. He had common folk friends. He had fishermen. Jesus could identify with the average guy. I don't know about you, but that brings a smile to my face, doesn't it? Hebrews affirms this when it says that he understands in every respect what it's like to be human. Now, I want to make sure you understand something about that because that, that's not meant just to make you feel good or like give you a warm fuzzy on a Christmas Eve. There's a very important aspect to the fact that God came to us the Word was made flesh. John says that he, he tabernacled among us. He dwelled among us. 
and we beheld the glory of the Father in the person and face of Jesus. So here is all God with all man. That's Jesus. There's something very important about that that I need you to understand. Because that, we talked about how God's mission, his business was to save his people. And that's what Jesus' mission was. He was about his father's business. Now, now watch this. That occurred because Jesus came to us. He didn't ask you to get to him. And that is the exclusive, watch this now church. Kids pay attention. Elementary kids, you'll get this. Trust me, this is something that I think we can all latch on to. That's the number one largest, starkest difference between biblical Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Even so-called, uh, or even the, the other monotheistic religions, you can group them with other ones on, on the planet. And every single religion says you need to get to God somehow. Only biblical Christianity, and I might I say, only biblical Christmas Christianity says in your darkest hour, God came to you. Now watch this. That's his human identity. He became one of us. An extreme on either end would not work. Now follow me. If God were just all holy, then he would have said to us, come on, get better. You can do better. Work your way up. Let's go. He would not trouble himself to send himself for our greatest need. He wouldn't do that. He would just kind of, kind of kick you in the pants. Come on, do better, do better. That's what moralism does. Moralism just simply cheers you on that you can do better even though you know you'll never get it exactly right. And so we'd be toast because we'd never get it exactly right. We'd never be holy like God. But you see, God's holiness was seen with his humanity. Now watch this. If you have only the humanity aspect, guess what? Then Jesus says, well, I'll do the best I can. You do the best you can and she'll do the best she can. And we'll just call that good. That's relativism. Everyone kind of does their best, and I guess your best is good enough. Because who knows if your best is better than her best or his best. We don't want to be judging anyone. So we'll just say your best is good enough. And you see, relativism neither saves, by the way. Moralism is a holy God without any humanity just says, come on, do your best, get up here. Relativism says, I guess everyone's good enough eventually, just do the best you can and Neither of those save us. Neither of those answer our biggest predicament. But it's when they both combine. It's when the holy identity of Jesus, that he was God, with the human identity of Jesus, that he was with us, that suddenly we find salvation. Because guess what? There is only one person who can bridge the gap between God and man. It's the one who was both God and man. And so who was born that day? Jesus, our only salvation. That's why instead of him, you will call him Jesus. For he will save his people from 
their sins. He was one of you. He knows in every way what it's like to be human, yet without sin. And he knows in every way what it is to be God. He is God. And so he can bridge this eternal predicament we're in. What I call this impossible situation. How does man get to God? Well, I have good news for you. Jesus has come. And he is our way to God. In fact, will you read this with me? Here's a simple Christmas Eve truth to take home tonight. Kind of tuck inside your heart. Remember this. Read it with me, would you? Jesus is God's perfect salvation for man's impossible situation. Because you could never be holy no matter how much you tried or no matter how much someone said, well, you're doing okay. You'll never be holy. We're all in an impossible situation. How do we reconcile with a holy God? That's why the birth of Jesus is so dramatically relevant. It answers your deep, deepest need. Jesus makes us right with God because he was both God and man. He is our salvation. So as you continue on in Luke 2, no wonder Simeon would say this. Here's Luke 2.30, real short verse. Will you read it with me? My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon called Jesus salvation. Anna, a prophetess in the temple, would say this. She called him redemption. Look at that. The redemption of Jerusalem. Those who saw him initially and immediately knew this Jesus is God with us. The only way we'll ever be saved, redeemed, reconciled. Paul would affirm this in one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament. 1 Timothy 2.5. Would you read it with me? It's a great Christmas verse, by the way. Together. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What a beautiful title. What a beautiful description. What beautiful salvation. And tonight, if you're born again, rejoice that what we celebrate is the coming of our salvation. Jesus, God, with us, man, so that we could escape our impossible, eternal predicament and through Jesus be made right with God once and for all. Amen, church? Rejoice this Christmas. Jesus has come. That's who was born this day.